Hey, I'm Daniel, a political activist and campaigner turned management consultant turned coach. And this is PolitikWise, the podcast where politics meets personal development. Let's face it, it's easy to criticize those in politics. But being in politics is not an easy ride. And yet for many who make the leap, it's worth it. They can make a real difference. So how can we have both? How can we make a difference while at the same time showing up as the best version of ourselves? It's a question that's been with me for the last 20 years. First, when I started out as an activist leading an NGO, then when I did a PhD in politics, and later when I quit my job in consulting to help build up a political movement and run an election campaign. And today, as I coach young leaders who want to make a difference while staying true to themselves. I know the answers are out there, so join me on this podcast. We'll hear from political leaders, from psychologists, neuroscientists, philosophers about their findings and experiences. And together, we learn about the ideas, mindsets and tools of wise people in politics and beyond. Let's go. My guest today is Ashley Streeter-Jones. She's the founder and CEO of Raise Our Voice Australia. It's a social enterprise that amplifies the voices of young women, trans and non-binary people in politics and in policy making. And we talk about how Ashley became active politically and the role that her mentor played in that. We also talk about one of the challenges volunteers face, which is that the work of volunteering is unpaid. And as always, we end with a tangible piece of advice from our guest. Ashley, welcome. Uh, let's start with your work for Raise Our Voice. Tell us perhaps a little bit more about your why for launching Raise Our Voice. How did you get to that? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Raise Our Voice Australia has been quite a journey. And maybe to go back a few years before Raise Our Voice came to be, I started my activism career working in issues-based political campaigning. So I was working with World Vision's youth movement, VGen, and I was working with young people aged 15 to 25 to support them to engage here in Australia to have an impact on issues of, of poverty and overseas development assistance. Through this work, we were doing a fair amount of political engagement. We were working with officers, We worked ahead of our 2016 federal election to make aid an issue on which people voted, so working in swing electorates, to look at how we put issues on the map. Uh, and then after quite a few years doing that, in the midst of burnout, I was passionate about solving the same problems but from a different position, that position being one that was paid and one with a bit of job security as well. So I moved up to Canberra and started my master's in diplomacy at the Australian National University. And during my time there, pivoted more solidly to the gender space. Gender equality is something I've always been passionate about. And it, it felt like a good time to not just dip my toe in, but I think throw my whole self in the pool. So I partnered with a friend around a shared observation that people who looked like us, people who shared our experiences, weren't making the decisions that governed our future and as strong believers in the premise of no decisions about us without us we came up with our first solution a program called girls take over parliament what we did is we went out to a bunch of politicians across the aisle and said 
hey, are you open to having a young woman or gender diverse person taking over your office for the day? And our intention with this was twofold. One was to start a conversation about the absence of young women and gender diverse people from the halls of politics. And the second was to show those young people that actually, why not them? To be a good politician, really, you have to represent your electorate. And that's kind of at the crux of it. So by the time Raise Our Voice Australia came around, I had had this experience working adjacent to political spaces. And I'd also spent a bit of time working in foreign policy and domestic policy. And again, following this trend of looking out for who's not in the room and leaning into my own experience, Raise Our Voice Australia was born out of this, this realisation of the need to get young women and non-binary and gender diverse people in these spaces along this premise of no decisions about us without us. Mm. So it sounds really like this realization, hey, wait a moment, if we look uh, around us in politics, people who are making the decisions, usually they don't look like us. I think this was the formulation you used. And then and then going out and starting the initiative, perhaps share a little bit more about how do you think you, you made that jump to say, let's start this specific initiative and this is This is our theory of change. This is how we believe we can we can change something versus perhaps a belief of, okay, well, this is how it is. You can't do anything about it. Or perhaps versus yet another alternative, which which I see people going for, which is let's not start an initiative, but let's let's go into politics actively and perhaps join a party. Any thoughts around those hmm. those decisions? Were those decisions for you at all? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. I'll be honest, I've been asked for years, when are you going to run for office? When are you going to run for office? Look, <laughs> I'd never say never. <laughs> the honest answer is I don't think politics in Australia in its current form is where I could best make the change that I want to make. And again, leaning into that background of more grassroots engagement and community building, I was interested in using those skills and, and using that method of change. So Raise Our Voice Australia actually started as a training program because I was catching up with one of my mentors and I said, oh, look, I feel like I've got this, this knowledge and these skills and these networks and I've, I've been really privileged in my career to get access to certain people and certain things and certain experiences and I want to essentially democratise that experience. So how can I share some of my learnings and some of the people who've helped me along the way with a broader community and I talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and this mentor eventually said to me one day Ashley you've been talking about this for probably about half a year now if not at least a couple of months I get the sense that you're a bit stuck in how to take this idea and translate it into an outcome so if you're serious about this I will sit down with you every week or every fortnight as much as you need and I'm going to help you bring this to life And she did. So I really owe Raise Our Voice to her. And sure, you know, the team and I have really picked it up and run with it ever since. But if it wasn't for the faith that she had in me and the belief in the idea, it, it may not have got off the ground. Ironically, yeah. well, we are running a training program and working perhaps a bit more informally with the political system, one of the things that we really support people doing is 
joining a political party. And I think it's fair to say that Australia, like many other countries, is seeing declining memberships. That's across political parties, unions, not-for-profit organisations. But one of the things that we do through Raise Our Voice is we have the conversations with young people about the levers that exist to make change. We strongly believe that we should be giving people a toolkit for a number of reasons. Number one, not every problem requires the same solution. Number two, our resourcing changes as we go through our lives. When I say resourcing, I mean our time, I mean our energy. And as somebody with chronic illness, this is something I'm very aware of. Our financial resourcing, the amount of time that we have to give to particular causes. And it might be that you go through a stage where you go, hey, you know what? Sharing things on social media is the best way to make change for me at the moment. Or you might be in a stage where you go, see, I am going to join that party and I am going to run for parliament. You're not going to be in the same place with your resourcing at all times. So what we'd want to do is really equip people with these tools also so that they're aware of the spectrum of ways in which they can make the change that they want to see. Yeah, and that really resonates with me. Two things. One is democratizing the knowledge being becoming aware that hey this is perhaps a privilege that i have that i've gained we can't take that for granted for everyone and let's democratize that and and the second thing that resonates is to to, to talk of tools and a toolkit and to have the whole spectrum and then you choose whatever is needed in your current situation i looked at one of your reports and i think this was from two years ago for your campaign raise our voice in parliament a really strong sentence there that some people say that young people are the leaders of tomorrow. That is a misconception. They're leading now today. Uh, what what are you working on today, right right now in, in Raise Our Voice uh, Australia? Yeah, look, that's, again, a, a really good question. So we, it is a good question because we're, we're sitting in this thinking at the moment. We've got our training program, which provides more the basics and fundamentals of policy and politics. We've got our Raise Our Voice in Parliament campaign. And for this campaign, we work with young people aged 21 or under of all genders. What we do is we go out to politicians in our federal parliament and politicians in the Australian federal parliament get what are called constituent speaking slots. So these are 90-second constituent statements where the member can talk about something or someone from their electorate. And what we've asked them to do is give up one of their 90-second speaking slots to read a speech written by a young person from their electorate, state or territory, which is a, a great program. And really it's so humbling to be the recipient of these ideas that these amazing young leaders have. And again, to really reiterate that point, that young people aren't the leaders of tomorrow. Young people are out there leading Today, they're leading climate movements, they're leading movements about consent and sexual assault. They're leading so many types of change, but they're seen as stakeholders with less power in the political system for a whole number of reasons. So Raise Our Voice in Parliament really is about connecting young people with their local members and also putting what they care about in front of the people who represent them. We're also focusing on community building. Because as much as we'd like to think that running a 10-week training program is going to give people all the tools and all the light bulbs to go on and start their careers in these spaces, we know that the most effective change 
it is likely to happen outside of this time bracket. So really thinking about how we can continue to build a community and support people who are on this journey. And finally, we're leaning a lot into research. So obviously we have an idea of what the problem looks like. And we know, again, this is a gendered problem. So boys and men are more likely than girls, women or gender diverse people to be interested in political careers and policy careers. But we want to make sure that we're checking in with how this problem exists. The one question that we're really contemplating, though, is how do we exist to make this change? Because currently a lot of our programming focuses on what's more within our control, which is how young people feel about these spaces. What's less within our control is things like how the media functions and what the culture looks like in politics. So we are checking back in with the problem, we're sitting in the problem, and we're really re-examining how we are best placed to try and make the change that we would like to see. Yeah. When our mutual friend Anita connected us, I, I went to your social media and I saw a post which reflected on the challenges of volunteering. And one of those challenges really resonated with me, really resonated with my own experiences, that volunteering is unpaid. So as a volunteer, you might want to change something out there, but at the same time, you need to make ends meet. You need to pay your bills. And mm, perhaps you mm -hmm. can't totally rely on your family to support you in that. So yeah, I just wanted to link back to that and and any thoughts around yeah, how, how have you dealt with that challenge so far? I'm really glad we're having this conversation because it's a conversation that I don't think we talk enough about, particularly in political spaces. Something that comes up in my work with young people as we're having these questions, particularly people who are maybe politically curious, people who might be interested in running for office down the track. And I, I have a feeling this is the case in more contexts other than Australia. Nobody pays you to campaign. You have to be on call pretty much around the clock for a fairly long period you know we're either talking weeks or months as opposed to days and you have to be able to sustain yourself through that period of time because you're doing morning events you're doing afternoon events you're doing day events you're doing evening events god forbid you have childcare responsibilities to throw into that as well but essentially you have to volunteer to hopefully be elected to reflect on again how we sustain this work. When I are talking about, and, and I'm sure that your audience are already engaging in, this is really big systemic change. If we're out there advocating for better politics or more ethical politics or better media to support the democracy, these are big structural changes. And these are things that do not happen overnight. They don't happen in a year or even a couple of years. We're talking really long-term change. And I think one of the most difficult things about this space is that we have to be able to afford to make this change. For so many years, we were having these conversations saying, if you love the work, then the love of the work will be enough. I get that to an extent, but the love of the work isn't what pays my rent. The love of the work isn't what keeps food on the table. And again, the timing of this conversation is not lost on me as we sit in a cost of living crisis where this is a crunch for so many people. And I think in change-making spaces, again, particularly where we're taking these really long-term horizons, we've got this tension or this duality of doing the work maybe that we love but that doesn't pay us and needing to then do work 
that pays us on the side of that. But it may be that that work either isn't necessarily aligned with the change maker we want to do or it doesn't pay that well. So we're constantly having to make these strategic decisions and these trade-offs. And it's something I'm really conscious of, even in the work that Raise Our Voice Australia does. We're an entirely volunteer-run organisation. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is getting more class diversity in politics. I think it's fair to say that if you need to volunteer to campaign and often to get the experience that you might need to run for office, you might have needed to volunteer on previous campaigns or do volunteer internships or volunteer again with issues-based campaign organizations it really does rely on a lot of unpaid labor and so many people simply can't afford to do that so by the the structure of politics and political parties it doesn't allow a lot of space for class diversity you really need to come with a lot of funding and that's without even touching of course campaign finance and needing to fundraise your campaigns as well and and i'm thinking of so many things now i'm thinking of my own experience and the guests on my podcasts in the past I, i'm thinking for example of a podcast with rainier van Landschot. he's the, the co-president of volta europa and in our episode i think he shared how one of his biggest risks that he took in life at least financially was to really invest all of his savings into being a volunteer to build up a political movement and the countless other stories that I could mention. And then also in my own experience, I think I came to a point where, yes, I needed, and I think perhaps that's a takeaway. You, you really need to think about how to <clears throat> strike strike the, that balance, you know, because inherent in wanting to volunteer is you want to support others. And I think if you don't strike the balance there to also support yourself, you know, this can easily turn into burnout. I agree. We need to be able to afford to do this work. And one of the biggest game changers, I would say, in Australian politics over the last couple of years is the formation of a group called Climate 200. Climate 200 is a philanthropically funded organisation for the most part. It does get its funding from a variety of sources. And at the last federal election where climate was such an issue, so that election was in May 2022, Climate 200 looked at this issue of the way money functions in politics and it made itself available to candidates who shared a number of values. So these were all independent candidates, but to receive funding, they had to run on at least three shared principles Hopefully I'm not forgetting any of them, but climate was a clear one. Integrity in politics, so looking at things like the establishment of anti-corruption body was a big one, and looking at gender equality, which had become a very loud conversation in Australian politics. And a ma the majority of candidates that Climate 200 funded were successful in unseating the sitting member of parliament. So taking these people that combined the social conscience with the funding in a model of impact investing had a significant impact on our politics. And again, for anybody who follows OzPol, you know that we might be a little bit behind in our climate progress, but that's exactly what Climate 200 existed to, to shift. And in the most literal sense, they put their, their money where their mouth is. 
Yeah, and and and, and I, I know there are, there are other initiatives out there beyond beyond Australia. So I think this is yeah, this is a hopeful hopeful development. That's a hopeful development because I think perhaps one last point on that. Um, I think the worst that can happen is oh, that that you you're forced to make a decision between one or the other. And I've had conversations with people who perhaps had a career 20 years in, in a, corp, a corporate job, but who share with me that, hey, you know, what I really wanted to do 20 years ago was, I don't know, perhaps climate was my issue, right? 20 years ago, not, not everybody was on board. So, but I really felt strongly about it, but I needed to have my job. And then that, that was the decision. And I think for, yeah, for us to find ways for people not, not, who are not, forced then to to make the decision of either or yeah and i think this is an issue again which disproportionately impacts young people who are less likely to have that stable and secure work or who might be existing in the gig economy and perhaps then aren't able to access things like sick leave or annual leave or get superannuation so money paid into their pension fund but who are more likely to be highly engaged in these issues and really, again, having to make these decisions at quite a young age and decisions which will impact their financial security later in life. Because as we know, having savings compounds and it, it helps create that security so you can make those decisions, so you can have secure housing, so you can have a good quality of life without worrying about cost of living. And it just makes you wonder, what could the world look like if some of our incredible young activist change makers didn't have to think about how they were putting food on the table. Yeah. Ashley, is there an advice that you find yourself giving over and over again to people? There are maybe three main things that I find myself suggesting or, or encouraging people to think about. The hmm. first one is why not you? And as I mentioned before, having a politician doesn't actually have a job description attached to it. It's not like a regular job where you sit down every six to 12 months and you have performance appraisal. You have a performance appraisal at the ballot box, which is a pretty unique way of getting performance feedback. And it's, it's not necessarily ongoing, but you've also got the challenge of managing those competing stakeholders. But just encouraging young people to reflect on that question of, well, why not you? Why not you? Because it very well could be you. Young people are often written off as not having enough expertise. We are the experts in our own experience. And I think it's fair to say that most of our policymakers in most of our countries haven't actually lived through some of the things that young people are living through today. For example, I'm 29 and I remember having conversations at school about things like revenge porn and about how much of yourself to share online, even though I didn't get my first smartphone until I left school. Young people these days have such unique challenges, particularly at that intersection of technology and privacy or education or the impacts of COVID. And those aren't really perspectives that are being represented in Parliament. So, yeah, again, taking that representative democracy model, we, are, we really are missing quite a few young voices in these spaces, and I'd love to see them being filled by some of these incredible young leaders. The second one is lean into your communities. This is a bit of advice that I always give to young people, particularly when they're starting out. When 
I think young people can feel a lot of pressure to be starting something. And I know I certainly went through a stage in my career where a lot of people were suddenly popping up on LinkedIn with that title of founder and CEO to the point where I actually feel quite uncomfortable about calling myself a founder and CEO, even though I am a founder and CEO. But recognizing that, yeah, sure, there's a lot of value in being the first person out in front, but the first person is nothing without their second person. And a movement builder is nothing without a movement. So taking the opportunity to lean into some of these spaces, learn from people with a bit more experience. And it does tie into my third point, which is develop the tools in your toolkit. And engaging with existing movements and existing organizations is a perfect way to do that because you get to learn on the job. Sometimes the stakes can be fairly low. So you've got room to learn and to fail and to iterate and to be part of things where you don't need to have all the answers and be the leader out in front. So those would be my top three. Why not you lean into your communities and build those tools in your toolkit? I love this. I love this, Ashley. Perhaps let's end with one last question, Ashley. Is Again, I, I looked into that report that I mentioned earlier where you asked young people to write a constituent speech that then politicians would read out. And the question that you asked them to write a speech about was, I believe, what do I want Australia to look like in 20 years' time? And uh, so you got lot, lots of speeches on that question. And I hope I don't put you on the spot. This is unprepared. <laughs> It's like, what, what is that for you? And that, perhaps let's zoom out. You're also part of the Global Shapers Movement. Um, uh -huh. Ashley, it's like, what do you want the world to look like in 20 years' time? What comes to mind for you? <laughs> You know, you are the first person who has actually asked me that question, even throughout the entirety of the campaign. And I think I'm quite grateful for that. It's a really big question. <laughs> Maybe to answer it a bit in the abstract, I'm really passionate about not just smashing ceilings, but actually lifting floors. I think this is particularly poignant at this point in time with the driving inequality that we've seen as an outcome of the, the COVID pandemic and Some of that inequality is just getting bigger. And I'm not just talking in terms of health outcomes, but in terms of rich getting richer, rising poverty levels, increasing comorbidities. Obviously, it's had a very gendered impact of women leaving the workforce, upticking caring responsibilities, interrupted education. It has just been so disruptive. That's not to say that there weren't inequalities before. Of course they were, but it found these existing fault lines and it somehow made them bigger. So if I were to keep it very high level, because I could probably write a PhD thesis on this topic, I would love to see a world where we've lifted the floor a bit more. Because to me, a good outcome in any sense doesn't look like some people succeeding while others stay still. It's actually closing that gap and, and really lifting the floor to create a more equal world. And a world where everybody prospers is a good outcome for everyone, right? Yeah. And Ashley, I think this links back to the start of our conversation. I think this is exactly what you're working on with Raise Our Voice Australia. Ashley, thank you for taking the time. It's been a really pleasure talking to you. And thanks for sharing those insights with, with listeners. It's been so nice to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked the episode. Please share it with someone who might find it valuable as well. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover or a guest I should talk to, let me know. You can find out more on my website, head over to politicwise.org. Until the next time.